Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Then reading Acts chapter 3, page 911. Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 20. And now, brothers... I know that you have acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, who is Jesus. Jesus made the statement that it was an invitation that you could come to him, all who were heavy laden, and he would give you rest. He said you would find rest for your souls. Peter would preach on the first sermon of the church that the times of refreshing, the times of rest, would come from the presence of the Lord. So I speak to us for a few moments this morning on the idea the truth, the promise that there is refreshing and rest for our weary souls. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you as people who do get weary, some today who are no doubt weary and tired in their spirit and their soul. And I ask you that we would see from your divinely inspired, God-breathed word, these holy scriptures, that there is a promise for us to find rest in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's been 25, 26 years ago. I was driving on a Thursday afternoon from Paducah, Kentucky, back home. I'd had a meeting in Paducah that day. I remember having lunch at Cracker Barrel, driving back home. I remember crossing the Ohio River and being fine and a town just on the other side of the Ohio River. I began to feel bad, just tired. And it hit me within a few minutes time. I felt like every ounce of strength had been drained from my body. The only time in my life this has ever happened. I pulled off in a parking lot, exited, 
opened up the door of my truck, stepped out, and immediately went to my knees. I remember the knees hitting the gravel below. I pulled myself back in the truck, saw a hotel down the road, drove to it, parked in front, walked inside, laid across the counter, said, ma'am, I need a hotel room, and I need the closest room to this desk. I said, I have to lay down. She gave me the senior citizen's discount. I do remember that. <laughs> I was 20 or 21. I do remember. She said, I'm going to give you the senior citizen's discount. I went in, called my wife. I said, I'm sick. Something's wrong. I just have to sleep. And I went into the deepest sleep you can imagine. Um, there was no arguing about this. I was fine to drive home, but she called my pastor who dispatched another guy in the church and he and this guy drove down the other guy drove my truck home and I rode home with my pastor and by the next day I was fine I don't know what it was it's the only time that's ever happened but I I lost every bit of strength in my body I remember borrowing a bicycle one time years ago and leaving the house and getting I, I wasn't used to riding a bike then uh, I grew up on bikes, but it had been many years since I'd even been on a bicycle and rode not that far, probably two, three miles at the most, and realized, I don't know if I have enough strength to get back. Felt like I had rode out in the middle of the ocean, and uh, I don't, didn't have a phone on me. I was like, I, I'm going to have to find a phone and call somebody to come get me. But uh, if you ride or do anything like that, you know that there comes a point where if you break through that, then you can probably go a lot longer. And that's what I found. I was able to get back to the house. But our bodies get tired. We don't question that. We don't think it's a lack of spirituality because we get tired and weary. think I can rest and regain strength. In fact, our entire life is a cycle of rest, restoration, daily, nightly. We're going to spend a third of our lives unconscious. And it's the plan of God. It's how God designed us. Is like our life is short, but a third of that is spent comatose. We're just we're, we're out of it. We, we, we don't even have the ability. Like, what could you do if you didn't have to sleep? Well, no one will ever know. Because it's how God designed us. And we don't question that. We don't get to the end of the day, or we don't hit that three o'clock wall in the afternoon and say, boy, I am. I'm tired, I need a nap, I must not be spiritual enough. Nobody thinks that. But when our souls get tired and weary, we begin to question our spirituality there. Maybe I'm not reading my Bible enough, maybe I'm not praying enough. When in reality, our souls, our spirit, our emotional state, our mental capacity, the inner man and woman, the, the person of our actual being, gets tired and weary just like our bodies do. And we don't find rest as easy for our souls. We don't seem as adept to knowing what to do. If your body's tired, you lay down and take a nap. It's the solution. Or you do something else. You may just watch something or read something light or just uncheck and unplug. But it's pretty obvious to us how to rest our bodies. But our souls, we don't seem to know how to rest our souls as well. The reality is good people in the church get weary. They get stressed. They get depressed. They get burned out doing good things. One of the finest men I've ever known, 
a man that I have had nothing but respect for. Um, it's a pastor, and <clears throat> he has fought depression. I'm talking clinical depression his entire life. I preached a whole sermon years ago on depression, and I talked about him and named him. And the reason I did is because I contacted him before the sermon, and I said, you've been open about it, but I'm not going to stand in a pulpit and talk about you being depressed unless you tell me it's okay. He said, go for it. He said, if, if it can help anybody, do it. And I, I used him as an example because a lot of people knew him. He held a high position in an organization. He was nationally known. And yet, he just simply faced depression. It was something that, that he dealt with his entire life. And I imagine maybe he still does. It had no bearing. No, it was not an indicator on his dashboard of his spirituality. It was something as part of his makeup of who he was that he fought depression. People get burned out doing good things. I tell new converts that come to faith in Christ, you will hit a wall. You won't always feel like coming to church. There are a lot of Sunday mornings I wake up, and if I let my flesh have its way, I'd have to roll over, turn off the alarm, and go right back to sleep. Have no problem, no issue doing that. You won't always feel God. You won't always feel like doing this. And it is in those moments when you mature as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you learn that when you can't trace God, you learn to trust Him. When you don't feel Him, you still learn to have faith in Him. I'm not saying we live for God out of duty. One of the greatest understandings I've had in my walk with God is that we can delight in Him. It's the idea of Christian hedonism. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. I heard that term the first time 15 years ago, revolutionized how I thought about God. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. I get the satisfaction in Christ. God gets the glory. That's the goal. But there are times when we walk with God, there are valleys, there are seasons when we walk with God by every day getting out of bed and putting one foot in front of the other and saying, I'm going to walk with Him today. He feels like He's a million miles away. And this is when having faith and having the knowledge of the Word of God. Knowledge can be imparted. Knowledge can be taught. Wisdom, you only get wisdom one way. That's through experience. You get wisdom by living life and saying, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to mature in Christ. This is the, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to learn to walk by faith. We live in a stressful, stressful era. We go on vacations. We were talking before service this morning. You've been on vacation. We just came back off vacation. You go on vacation and you need a vacation when you get back from the vacation. Like, oh, I just, you know, it's like, uh, I need a day. I, I just, you know, I, I need some time. Um, because those... A vacation comes with its own unique set of stress factors. There's a huge industry based upon rest and relaxation. RVs, timeshares, beaches, theme parks. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. We all enjoy those things. 
But you are not going to find the restoration and the refreshment for your soul simply by getting away and going and doing something different. We have a lifestyle of getting more stuff, especially the area that we live in. It's, I, I'm, I'm here to get more stuff. I need more stuff. I mean, the entire marketing and advertising world is, is geared toward making you believe that you need more stuff and that you are not complete and whole until you get more stuff. I spent 13 years working for a $6 billion retailer and the head of the company simply said, it was the mantra, it was a poster of his picture in the training room with this saying on it. Basically, I don't remember exactly, but the, the essence of it was people shop because they like to feel good about themselves. And we're going to take $6 billion a year out of the American consumer's pockets based upon this philosophy. I used to say we didn't sell one thing that anybody had to have from our store. We could shut down and it would be fine. But $6 billion a year times all the other retailers so people can feel good about themselves. We needed a deliverance from want. The happiest people that I've ever known in life have been people who were content with what they had. It's almost like there's something in the Bible about that. Maybe it was Paul who said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. He said, I've found myself to have a lot. I've found myself abased. I've been all over the map. And anywhere I am, Paul said, I am content. What a way to live. After John Rockefeller died, someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave behind? And his accountant replied, all of it. Ecclesiastes 5 says, As he came forth out of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. You come into this world with nothing, you leave this world with nothing. It's everything else that you do between the entrance and the exit from this life that matters, not the accumulation of stuff. Then there's worry. Worry will wear people out. And some people are given over to being more carefree than others. Some people are just, they worry about everything. And a lot of that's just your makeup, how you were raised. There's all sorts of factors that go into that. I know people that seem to worry about nothing. And I've envied those people because I'm not one of those people. I, I see the danger in everything. I've not been on a roller coaster in 20 years, but the last time I went on a roller coaster with my wife, because I grew up on them as a kid and teenager, loved roller coasters, got married. A few years later, we decide to take a day to go to Six Flags, just her and I. And there is something different about going on a roller coaster post-children. Like you realize I have responsibilities in this life. You know, there's people counting on me. And I don't remember for sure, but I think I made the statement to her as we were ramping up the ninja at Six Flags. I said, I wonder who checks the torque on these bolts. <laughs> I was, we were slowly creeping up, and I'm looking at all the... And then I, I'm confident I said that. I know I've thought this before. It's like, especially at carnivals and fairs, it's like, do they drug test the people that put this stuff together? I mean, they're carnies for a reason. Like... Who are these people? I'm trusting my life in the hands of, of, of these people. I'm listening to a podcast right now, a little free plug for a phenomenal podcast called Hardcore History. 
and listening to this podcast, and it's uh, part one is six hours, and it's on the nuclear threat and the history of that, and it's incredibly fascinating, but it talks about the bomb and people who, you know, back in the day, bomb shelters were a big thing, as if a nuclear warhead goes off in your town and your underground bomb shelter is going to, you know, you better be ready to live underneath there for a very long time. There's a far side where they're in the bomb shelter, you see civilization being annihilated, and the husband and wife are down there, and she is chewing him out for, for forgetting to put a can opener uh, in the bomb shelter. <laughs> People worry about storms, so they build storm shelters. We worry, we worry, we worry. We worry about the economy. We look at the market. market right now has been on kind of a shaky slide the last few weeks and, and we look at that and we get anxious but this is what Jesus said Jesus said and oh if we could just believe what Jesus said if we could just be people who listen to the words of Jesus and said okay Jesus I'll, I'll, I'll take that for face value Jesus said don't be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your fa heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And Therefore, don't be anxious. I mean, as Jesus is saying over and over, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And keep in mind, he's talking to people who are not like us. I, I think it's safe to say most of us aren't overly concerned that we will run out of food this week. But he's speaking to a group of people, and it's how the world has mostly been throughout history and how the world is much today, where their focus every day, they're not worried about fulfilling their purpose in life, about making their life count. Their fundamental focus is, where is my next meal coming from? Do I have enough food this week? to feed my family because they're going to have to go find it for themselves. There's no grocery stores to the people Jesus is speaking to. So he's speaking to practical, serious concerns these people have. He says, for if the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. There is a lot of wisdom in those words. Seek first God's kingdom, seek His righteousness, and everything else that you need will be added. Now, Jesus is not giving people an excuse to go quit work. The, the Bible is very practical. We talk about in Thessalonians where Paul's talking about the return of Christ and people try to make it this big theological debate about all that Paul's talking about and they completely miss 
the reason Paul is talking about the return of Christ is because there have been men who have quit their jobs because they think Jesus is getting ready to come back. And Paul's whole point of his teaching on the second coming of Christ in Thessalonians is to tell the men, get back to work. Go get a job. That's, that's the underpinning of the, the conversation on the return of Christ in Thessalonians. It's very practical. This is practical wisdom. I think it's safe to say that at some level, all of us are probably anxious about tomorrow. I don't mean just in the future. I mean Monday, October, whatever it is, tomorrow, Monday, we're probably, there's something there that's anxious. I live my entire life off of project management software, personal included, and the problem with that is you click on upcoming and you see everything that's expanded out there and you just start getting anxious. Like, oh, how am I going to get, if, if nothing else comes on my plate, how am I going to get this done? I looked this morning and I had 11 things on my to-do list for today. And I said, oh, Lord. Started racking up in my mind. That'll take five minutes. That'll take 15. That's, okay, I got about five hours worth of work today I've got to do. What does that do? It makes you anxious. And this is exactly what Jesus said he doesn't want us to be. He said, don't be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. It's evil. Its own trouble is sufficient tomorrow. You've got enough right now. Like, worry about today. Focus on today. Because tomorrow will be today in 24 hours, and you'll have your own set of tomorrows to deal with. What wisdom from Jesus. We worry, and we get weary. And Jesus does not want us to be anxious. He does not want us to be weary. In Judges chapter 4, there's an interesting story of Sisera. The Bible says that Israel had done evil in the sight of God, and so therefore God delivers Israel into the, the Canaanites, the enemy. The captain of the Canaanite army was a man named Sisera. The Bible says that Sisera oppressed Israel. Israel's been under oppression and under attack for thousands of years. Judges 4, it's going on then. Israel goes to their prophetess. So you have in the time of the judges, you have both men and women who lead and they go to the prophetess. Her name was Deborah. And Deborah says, the Lord is telling you, Israel, to take 10,000 men and go to battle with Sisera but God will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So the Lord says, take 10,000 soldiers who are men and go fight the Canaanites. But Sisera himself, God will deliver into the hands of a woman. So Israel goes, they defeat the Canaanite army. Sisera flees, he's weary, he's thirsty, he's tired. He's on the run and he comes across a tent. And a woman named Jael walks out of the tent and greets him and she says, Come into my tent and rest. And she covers him with a blanket. Sisera asks her for a drink of water, and instead she gives him a bottle of milk. And Judges 4.21 says, Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness and it says, and so he died. You think? Like, she literally nailed his head to the ground. 
a tent spike from one temple to the other and attached him, fastened him to the ground like a tent with a peg. Be careful whose tent you find refuge in when you're weary. The danger of living weary is that you will do things and make decisions that you would otherwise not do. When you're tired, when your soul's weary, be careful of where you find solace. That's why it's so important that you never make major life decisions when you are either weary or depressed or in the valley. When you're in those stages, your feelings, your emotions, your heart, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, the Bible says. Who can know it? No man knows his own heart. Scripture says, your emotions will drive you crazy. Say, follow your heart. It's the worst advice somebody could give you. Follow your heart. Like, no, I think the Bible has something to say about your heart. You can't trust it. Instead, Paul says, you set your affections. You decide. You make decisions. Now, I know that that's not going to sell a lot of Hallmark cards at Valentine's Day. Right? That's not the most, but, but it's good words from Scripture. Paul's like, you choose what to love. You decide what to love. You make decisions. Love, Christian maturity is in a place where love is more than an emotion. Love is a decision and an attitude. I'm going to love that person. It's settled. I'm going to love them. That's why we need pastors. That's why we need pulpits. We let the Word of God direct us and keep us. God speaks through us, through a man of God. He speaks through us through His Word, the Scriptures. He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. God still speaks to people, that that still small voice that speaks to us. And if you ever have something that you think God is telling you that violates the Word of God, it's not God. God's Spirit never violates His Word. They are always congruent and in alignment. We talk about the patience of Job, but Job himself was a weary man. Job chapter 10, this would be all of us after losing children and everything we have. Job says, My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Now, I don't think any of us have had the combined tragedies of Job, but we've all faced hard times, and it leaves us weary and burned out. Job is in a bad place of depression. He's putting into words the way every one of us have felt or will feel again. But that was in chapter 19. But in chapter, that was in chapter 10. In chapter 19, you see this kind of this first crack of light coming through the dark. And he says, But I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job got a hold of himself and his thinking, and by the end of the story, the Bible says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And if we're weary, it doesn't mean that we're backslid. It doesn't mean we've disappointed God or that we've struggled to the point where God doesn't want anything to do with this. It just simply happens to everybody. And our weariness is not the last chapter of our story. Everybody goes through the dip, everybody goes through the valley, and everybody who perseveres and those who he 
calls, those who He justified, He's going to secure, He's going to glorify. If you are going to persevere, not just through grit and willpower, but through the strength that is supplied through the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to push on, strength and joy will come to you and to your house. So many of us walk through life with too much baggage, too much stuff. Past things in our minds just weigh us down. I tend to travel too much. I travel with, if I travel with somebody who I don't normally travel with, I'll hear, you don't travel a lot, do you? Well, it's not that, it's just that I tend to pack too much stuff. I went to a minister's conference years ago, picked a guy up at his house, 6 o'clock in the morning. We got there 6 o'clock in the evening. He hadn't seen me pack. We get out. He pulls out his little bag. I start, I open up the trunk. I start pulling out suitcases. And he just, he kind of has a conniption. He's like, what? He just, he won't let it go. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, what? You brought your entire closet. He's like, this is all you need. I think he wore the same sport coat three days in a row. He's like, I don't know these people. What do I care? You know? Um, and I, so I remember taking a trip and I had decided, like, I'm going to take the bare necessities. It wasn't, wasn't long after that. And uh, it was refreshing because I got out at the hotel and just like, well, there, there's not, it's so much easier just to travel light. And so it is in our lives. We all carry too much baggage around in our lives and it makes us very, very weary. Peter would say in 1 Peter 5, casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. Casting your fear, your doubt, your disappointment, your hurt, your rejection, your past abuse, your guilt, your condemnation, everything... Peter said, just go ahead and cast it upon Jesus. And He'll give us rest. The rest that we need comes from the Holy Spirit that is within us. We don't discount the need of Sabbath to rest. I think we, we are so big on the idea that we're not, you know, the law is passed, the Sabbath was for the Jews, but there's a principle there that's very valuable. There is something to be said about Sabbath in our lives. So there's two parts to this rest. Number one, we need to learn to rest in Him. Rest in Christ. There is rest in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an invitation, Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Well, how do you come to Jesus? You come to Jesus in the church age when Jesus has ascended we come to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ that proceeds from the throne room of God. It is the self-same God in us. And that's the invitation that the Holy Spirit will give us this rest. And these are words that we need to digest and accept and do what He asks us to do. We read in our opening text Peter saying, Repent! And be converted that your sins may be blotted out and the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That word refreshing literally means to catch your breath. It's when you're out of breath, you just stop and you, you, you catch your breath in His presence, which is the breath of God. This is what the Holy Spirit is. It's as if Peter is saying, stop breathing your own 
breath and catch a breath. The times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. The breath of God will supply that strength. His presence is our Sabbath. The, the Holy Spirit is more than a, this ticket to heaven. The Holy Spirit is what gives you the strength to carry on. Paul would say that his strength is not I, but Christ that lives within me. And the second thing we need to do is to learn to take a Sabbath, a rest. God ordained rest. We wear hard work like a badge of honor, and, and we should. It's right. But part of that then is the idea of Sabbath. It is baked into the order of creation that God on six days created, and on the seventh day God rested. It is temple language. And we are invited into that rest, into that Sabbath, into that temple, into His presence. We need times of silence and solitude in a very noisy world. We need times when we are unconnected from technology. We wear accessibility as a badge of honor. You know, I return every phone call. I get back on every text message, every email. And people wear that with a badge of honor, but there comes a time when we need to unplug. Silence and solitude are key elements of living out Sabbath, and they are spiritual disciplines. Even Jesus, who is the God-man Himself, the Bible says, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He went out to a desolate place, and He went up on the mountain to pray by Himself alone. Matthew 14. Don Whitney wrote that one of the costs of technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. And he says, so many of us need to realize the addiction we have to noise. We are living in a faster-paced culture than ever before. Everything is instant, just instantaneous. Now the, the, the drive is artificial intelligence. There's nothing more instant than that. I asked the AI engine to write me a sermon on John 3 to see how well it would do. And it was really, really good. Someone could have taken that and used it as an outline and preached a sermon. Now, if I ever do that, fire me the first time. Seriously. But that's the question now. And in papers, it's, it's the challenge in, in education. What about uh, people who can write papers? Someone recently... Uh, as a test, told the AI to talk about a subject that a particular well-known preacher talks about and talk about it and write about it in his voice, meaning in his tone, the way that he would express. And it spit it out, and it, was, it sounded just like this person said this. Everything is instantaneous. And now, of course, there's companies that see the opportunity to write software, and if you're an instructor, professor, a teacher, you can employ this software to detect whether or not that paper was written by AI. So now it's going to be a battle of, of software to make sure that we can detect all this. And of course, the people who would employ AI in this way, they're missing the point of the education. It's not to get a grade, it's to level up, to make yourself better, to make sure that you could do this, and nothing can replace that. But everybody's looking for a shortcut because everything is instant. And this will burn us out quickly 
if we don't install and embed Sabbath time in our lives. I know people, I've known people who were driven at a level that was an unusual level of drive. I was raised spiritually by a pastor who I don't think ever took a day off. I don't think he had a hobby. Operated off very little sleep. Always on, never sick, seven days a week. He said something to me to the effect one time of, why would I ever take a vacation from doing what I love to do? And, but he was the exception. If I were to try to live that way, I would crash and burn and it would be spectacular. And so would most of us. Most people, nearly everyone. And I would have argued even him could have benefited from some unplug downtime. Now, there's people that take that to the extreme, and they're simply lazy. That's just a whole other conversation. Uh, I'm talking about working hard, being diligent in life, and finding the time, the God-ordained rhythms of rest to unplug. And this, why do we do this? It's not just to rejuvenate, but it's during these times that His Word is so clear in the silence. Churches... Historically, some churches have been known for their noise, and silence is interpreted as dead and dry, as if noise equated anointing. I was raised that we did a good job of teaching people how to be demonstrative, extroverted in, in praise and worship, but we didn't do a very good job of teaching people how to be reflective and contemplative and introspective. I'm not talking about Buddhism, I'm not talking about Eastern meditation, I'm talking about biblical book of Psalms type meditation, meditating upon the Lord and His Word. And we have tried to force large branches to grow rather than deep roots, where the reality is that if we grow deep roots, the large branches that the world sees will grow naturally, because we find our time in Him. God is our refuge and strength, the psalmist said a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now look at the action that's going on. The mountains are moved, waters roar and foam, mountains tremble. This is nothing but noise and action. Then he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And then it's back to the action. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you feel in the words the ebb and the flow of the action and the solitude? The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice and the earth melts. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and He burns the chariots with fire. Now here, I mean, just, just picture the imagery there. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And the very next phrase, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among all the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's a beautiful psalm. Just the ebb and flow of this is what's going on in the world. And the final admonition is just be still. 
and know that I am God. He will be exalted in all the earth. What are we supposed to do? Be still. Man of God, give me a word. Just be still and know that He's God. With all of the chaos and the noise around us, the absolute saturation that we're getting from every angle of noise. I mean, the media is just piped in every avenue. It's chaos around us. Just be still. Bask in His presence. Don't be rushed. Linger in His presence and you'll find your strength. The child of God, the believer, the Christ follower, the Christian, marches to the beat of a different drummer than the rest of the world. And it will be looked at as out of step and out of touch. You're not going to know the things tomorrow at work that happen in the news and the media and the entertainment world. And our, our minds are just, just pounded in with this. I told my wife this morning, I said, I dreamed last night I was in a conversation with Madonna and Matthew McConaughey. I have no use for either of those people in my life. Why did you dream about it? It's because I've been saturated with that. To Just like, unless I go live on the backside of a mountain in Colorado and dig a hole in the side and put a door on it, um, you can't run from this stuff. It's just, it's the world that you live in. So what do we do? We intentionally step back and say, I'm going to take my Sabbath. I'm going to hold up with just God and His Word and His Spirit, meditate and pray and talk to Him and read soul-filling books and just feed my soul and be still and know that He is God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit. I thank you that you have given us a path, a very clear path to know you and to know you rightly. That every day that we can walk with you and talk with you and know who you are and uh, understand that we see life and we see the world very differently than uh, that of our neighbors who are not people of faith. And we pray that they become people of faith. We are evangelistic. We are, we are people who want to see the world reached with the gospel of Jesus. But Lord, in our own times of, of solitude, Lord, we pray that um, you would help us to use these times to become spiritually healthy, uh, to be healthy people in our soul, uh, so that when our soul does get tired and weary, and it has and is and does, that we'll be able to find times of rest uh, to plug into you, to recharge, to rejuvenate, to find that Sabbath through worship in you. Lord, that our rest, our ultimate rest, is you, that you are the Sabbath, that you are the fulfillment of the law, that we find our rest in the words and the person of Jesus Christ and through the empowering might and anointing of the Holy Spirit. So I pray, Lord, as we go our ways until we gather again together, that you would help us to be sensitive to your Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us and direct us, that you would help us not to be anxious, not to worry, but to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and believing that all the other things that Jesus talked about 
that He would add those things to us. He'll take care of us. He will supply our needs according to His riches, Lord. We will be diligent. We will work. We will be wise. We will be good stewards. But ultimately, we look to You to be the provider, Lord. And in return, we simply offer You our worship. We ask this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning.